All right, here we are working through the book of uh, Hebrews. We are really going to focus, see my weird verse reference there. We're going to focus on chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, really 1 through 3, but we're going to read that whole hunk. So if you would start in chapter 4, verse 14, this is God's word. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins." He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is bound to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when, God, when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I open with a a little bit of a risky illustration, and it's not that risky, Tammy. Don't worry, or elders, if you're in the room. It's not that risky. It's just that I I don't want to steal another pastor's good illustration. Um, This was something that was told to me, us, the staff this week, and um, I, I just don't want to steal someone else's illustration. I don't want to put words in someone else's mouth, um, nor do I want to get tangled up into some kind of debate, okay? So that said, you'll probably hear it in a better form and much more realistic and a better story, too, by the actual source, Dr. Young. But um, you know, he went on a mission trip to India. Uh, after India, he was already over there, and Susie flew, and uh, he flew to uh, uh, Rome, and she flew to Rome, and they met each other in the airport on Valentine's Day and saw each other. I mean, ah, you know, just to, he said it was the happiest day of his marriage was seeing his wife in the airport. Anyway, the, the illustration is this. They uh, stay in Rome, and uh, they're on some, you know, the big Vatican, the big area there thing, and they're in a hotel that was recommended to them by a number of people, and they stay in this hotel, and, uh, you know, they have a wonderful buffet. I was told they had a wonderful buffet, and we were looking forward to that breakfast in the morning, and uh, so I went down there with my Bible, and I was used to a buffet, you know, so he's all excited about it. He goes down there, and he said it was jam-packed, jam-packed, and people are in suits, and, you know, it's all cobblestone outside, and like in Europe and stuff, and the ladies are in high heel shoes, and everyone's just decked out, and and he, it was just jam-packed. He couldn't get to the food, you know? And, um, and then the big area out there, you know, that big giant area is supposed to hold like 2 million people. And uh, he said, we walk outside, and there were 2 million people. <laughs> and uh, guess who they were there to see? Willie Moscone. No, the Pope. You're right. The Pope. So the Pope's up in the window. And, but his, the thing he was telling the staff was that in that lobby, there was a... 
a fervor, a strange fervor. And uh, out in that big, what do you call it? The piazza or the the plaza, what is it called? Whatever that big area is. There was a, the hula, the plaza, a fervor, a fervor. And um, he just found it so disturbing. And uh, of course, later he he got on the Google machine and downloaded the sermon and uh, I dissected it and it was full of all kinds of weird stuff. But um, the point was, that it was more than just seeing some famous person or leader. Um, it was ardor. It was veneration. It was uh, ad- adulation. It was uh, spiritual fervor. It was putting someone on a pedestal. Um, and I'll tell you, you know, I went to um, a preaching conference uh, about a decade ago in Atlanta with uh, B.J. Oney, back when, I guess it was longer than that, but uh, we went to this preaching conference, and somehow, he booked tickets, our hotel reservations, we were on the 16th floor of this uh, hotel with all the speakers, and all week long, I rode up and down the elevator with R.C. Sproul, Eric Alexander, uh, Alistair Begg, who else, other, other gigantic names, uh, Sinclair Ferguson, um, who was, Michael Horton was there, I mean, it was like on the elevator, hi, how you doing, everybody, and listen, it was cool to see those guys, but I wasn't full of veneration or ardor or spiritual fervor. It was just, you know, some celebrity preacher guys. In fact, I once um, was at a urinal with R.C. Sproul and had a conversation with him. <laughs> True. We were the only two guys in there. I don't know how much more uh, intimate you can get with a, a clergyman. Oh, actually I, actually, I walked up behind him and I did uh, an impersonation of Dr. Young. And uh, he said, do that again. He didn't even turn around. He said, do that again. And anyway, we had a nice chat with uh, Tammy and I had a nice chat with uh, him and his wife. But anyway, I was glad to see those wonderful brothers and fathers of the faith. But um, I certainly didn't feel any spiritual veneration of them. Um, Dr. Young's offense was that when the Bible presents priestly service uh, as interceding for the people, the priest himself... Okay, aside from Jesus, the priest himself must make atonement for his own sin. I mean, he's got to have a sacrifice for his own sin. He's a sinner too. Um, no redeemed man would, would rejoice, invite, tolerate being called Holy Father. I just can't, I just can't fathom it. Um, so um, all that to say, um, being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb uh, is to... Um, Accept God's provision of a surrogate curse bearer alone. Um, so the, the main idea that I'd like to pull from this passage today, and listen, we'll be in it again next time and maybe another time too. We'll talk about Melchizedek more next time, okay? Um, but for now, I just want us to focus on this. The only way to God is the way by God. All right, so let's go to the passage, chapter five, verse one. For every high priest chosen from among men is. Let's stop there. All right, you can see that it's a continuation of a thought. There's an explanation going on. You see that we need what came before to understand that. And uh, we come to a little bit of a difficult decision on how to divide the passage, actually. Um, Depending on what commentator you read or what preacher you hear, um, a lot of varying ways of how to divide the passage. Some people take chapter four, verse 14, all the way to chapter five, verse 10, Others uh, shorten it up, and they do uh, chapter 5, 1 through 6. Others shorten it up even more, chapter 5, 1 through 3, uh, and so on. And um, uh, so we're going to narrow it down really, I think, to the first three verses here, but I'm going to try to present it through the wider focus. The only way to God 
is the way by God. Now, one of the distinctives of the book of Hebrews is um, this, um, this uh, aim to give confidence to struggling saints, right? This is, a, this is an early uh, church. It's a bunch of uh, Jewish believing Christians under persecution, and um, um, they're under persecution like we don't know. Our persecution is people think we're morons. That's our persecution. People think we're stupid bumpkins, right? Their persecution is real. Um, their homes really are being um, broken up. They really are uh, being persecuted by society. And so there's a, there's a great emphasis on that. You know, if you read the Gospel of John, a great emphasis on the divinity of Jesus Christ. I mean, throughout, you just see there's an emphasis in the, in the mind and voice of the writer. Um, if you read Romans, it starts with the, the fallen condition of humanity, spells that out, and then gives the answer, okay? But here, it's really a big focus on Christians and their struggles, and even struggles with the Christian faith itself, and that may ring with some of you, just a struggle with the Christian faith, what it is, what you really believe. Uh, a lot of young people um, are going, is this my parents' religion? Is this the, just the church I grew up in? What do I really uh, grip in my own soul? Um, there, there's a mind toward that, okay? But the writer of Hebrews wants us to know, desperately he wants us to know, that we are able to rest in the person and work and ministry and atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the, the, the assurance of certainty that comes with that. Um, one writer said this. I thought this was really good. He says, the writer of Hebrews' whole approach seems to be this. If you will only comprehend who Christ is and what he has done, this will make you per- persevere in the faith against all difficulties. If we get Christ straight, he argues, Everything else will come into focus. Man, that ain't bad life advice, is it? We get Christ straight. We understand who he is. If we understand the gospel, if we understand what's been accomplished for us, then boy, everything tends to fall right into place in our, in our understanding, in our, our exercise of our faith, okay? So back to, back to chapter five, verse one. It says, every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And there's a lot here. We'll, we'll talk about it. But it, 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 of course, pulls in chapter 4, which uh, contains this idea of gaining a kind of eternal rest and satisfaction. God's rest uh, afforded us, uh, soul satisfactory rest, God's own rest given to us. And uh, I'll tell you, wherever you happen to be on uh, the spiritual belief spectrum, uh, that's at least a beautiful and intriguing idea, isn't it? That a personal God would personally uh, intrude into your personal situation to save you from yourself and give you a rest that you know that you're clamoring for. That's a pretty uh, beautiful gospel. All right. So uh, in fact, you know, in chapter four, verse 11, it says, let us strive to enter that rest. Um, Chapter four, verse 14, it says, um, Since we have a great high priest, hey, there's a reason. Since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Um, And, um, you know, he's this this savior who passed through the heavens. He's accomplished the work. The atoning sacrifice was accepted by the father. And in that, there is a rest of soul, all right? Means a lot of things. It means, ladies and gentlemen, that um, Jesus, the savior, 
um, gave a sacrifice that was acceptable to the Father. It means that um, Jesus is priest himself, unadulterated intercessor between God and man. Um, that this Jesus, uh, that we can bank on him. He's passed through the heavens. He's at the right hand of the Father. We're to hold fast our confession. It means that he's a king reigning over his kingdom, dynamically ruling and reigning and involved. It means that he's the prophet, uh, the final prophet, the living word. But look at verse one again. Uh, the other qualification of the great high priest is that he is an actual association with sinners. Uh, Chapter five, verse one, every priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. So this, this great high priest, this is a parallel being drawn between the Aaronic priesthood and Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, In each case, the idea is representing the people before God. If this God really is the way he says he is, if he really can't receive sin, if he really can't overlook it, if he can't have anything dirty in his presence, like an operating room can't have dirty things in it. You understand that? By nature, it can't. Well, this is, this is the holiness of God. By nature, he can't have iniquity in his presence. You can understand um, that you need some kind of representation between you and God. That's an easy thing to understand. If you have to hire an attorney, he represents you in court. He goes, he's your advocate. He goes between you and the judge. And that's the idea here. Um, the Bible writer is telling us that there's a stipulation. The stipulation when it comes to this God is the only way to him is the way provided by him. You don't just get to go, hey, this is good enough. Ought to be good enough for you. Here you go. You don't get to do that. He's the creator. He's God. And a priest is the means by which God can associate himself with a wayward people. Now, in verse one, there are basically three functions shown here that the high priest engages in. Uh, Function number one, he's chosen from among men, right? So he's got to be like us. Um, he's appointed to act on uh, a behalf of men, so he's appointed. We'll talk about that more in our next point. And uh, he, does, he performs a duty. He offers gifts and sacrifices uh, for sins. But let's talk about the first one, chosen from among men. We talked about this last time, that Jesus had to be made like us. He had to be human. Why did Jesus have to be human, fully human? The reason is he had to be actually associated with us, really associated with us, not ceremonially associated with us, not an example, um, not something to look toward, but actually associated with us um, by Jesus perfectly, obediently living his life. He is thereby eligible to lay it down for us. You know why I couldn't die for your sins? Because I'm guilty. I need rescue. I can't go before the judge and go, judge? <laughs> you know, if, we, if I robbed a bank and you robbed a bank and I went before the judge and I said, I'd like to take that guy's punishment for robbing the bank. He's like, what are you kidding? You're a bank robber, dummy. I can't die for your, your sins, but Jesus can. And he's an actual representation. You know, um, in the Old Testament, you know, you've got, I don't want to get too far off base here, but you know, you've got, you've got um, Israelite law, right? Like, like the, the laws of the United States, okay? So they, they, have, they have civil law, like we have civil laws. 
And then you've got the moral law of God as summarized in the Ten Commandments, right? Unchanging, forever and ever. God is a certain way. He has a certain moral code, and he spells it out for us in a, in a simple and clear way in the Ten Commandments. Forever, okay? But the civil law, that's, that's, that's like America laws, all right? But the other kind of law was the ceremonial laws of, of Israelite worship. That's where priests would carry out these functions and they would go in the temple um, and they would go in there on the Day of Atonement. They put blood on the top of the, 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 uh, the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments in it and it sounds so weird and strange and it's only weird and strange because you've never killed a chicken. Um, who has killed a chicken, by the way? Look at all you country people. Wow. Well, you know, I mean, the rest of you are like, kill a chicken, yeah, or ha, you know, we, we, just, don't, we just don't kill our food usually. Um, it's, it's strange to us to see blood. Uh, not so in that culture. I mean, blood was a part of uh, living. Kids saw it. Uh, it, was, it was a part of things. And, and so it, it, it is strange, but it's not as strange as it would be for them to, to say, wow, you know, we, we, we get this. I mean, here's the, here's the visual God, just, God is giving in the ceremonial law. He's going, you know what? The life of a thing is in the blood. Get it? If the blood's poured out, uh, the thing dies. And people go, oh, we get that. We get that. Okay, all right, well, um, here's the problem with sin. It separates you eternally from me, and it moves you from spiritual life to spiritual death. The wages of sin is death, and buddy, you earn the wages. And so, ceremoniously, the priest would go in with blood, and everybody knew it too. It was, he wasn't doing it. He, everybody knew it was happening. They knew that he was going in there once a day with some blood, putting it on there, and, and he was doing it to atone for the sins of the people. And um, I, I know it sounds strange, but it's just this, this vivid symbol, but it's ceremonious, right? It's a ceremony. It's, that's why it's called ceremonial law. Um, in, um, yeah, listen to this. This is in Leviticus 9, verse uh, 7 and 8. Um, Moses said to Aaron, Aaron was the high priest, draw near to the altar, and offer your sin offering, because you're a sinner too, Aaron, and your burnt offering, and make atonement for yourself and for the people, and bring the offering of the people, and make atonement for them as the Lord commanded. So Aaron drew near to the altar, killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Uh, what else? It goes on a couple chapters later. Uh, chapter 16, yeah, Aaron uh, offers a, a sin offering for himself, and he makes atonement for himself and for his house. Um, and uh, let's see, he kills a goat of the sin offering that's for the people and brings its blood inside the veil to do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. And thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. It's foreign and weird to us, but it's a vivid ceremony. It's a ceremony that the people understand. Oh, I get it. The wages of sin is death. That's what that's communicating. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. All right? So that, that's, the, that's, the, that's the, the ceremonial picture. The point here with the, with the writer of Hebrews is that's a human being. That's a human priest who is also guilty. Guys, I mean, I don't even like the term reverend. You know that? I like the term pastor. You know why? Because it's a... New Testament Greek Bible word that's used 16 times in the New Testament. I like that word. It means shepherd. I don't like the word reverend. You know where that comes from? The Latin. You know what it means? One to be revered. Please don't do that to me ever. If I get the wand waved someday, I don't even want anyone ever to call me that. Right reverend, the great right reverend, all these crazy titles. I don't even like that. But my whole point is, ladies and gentlemen, 
Jesus had to become a human being so he could live that, that perfect human life so he would be an actual representation, not a ceremonial one that has to be repeated and repeated and repeated, not a temporary one that, that, that points towards something, but the fulfillment where he makes a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, he, he becomes the, the curse bearer and it's final. And, that, and when he says on the cross, it is finished, that's what he means. The work has been accomplished. The payment has been made. The blood sacrifice has been offered. And uh, he's, he's alive and ascended and resurrected. And that means it's accepted. All right. Application for your life. The only way to God is the way by God. Um, it, it points to um, something permanent and and, um, and real. You know, guys, um, you want to know what the way is? The only way to God is the way by God? Here's the way. Jesus' own words. I am the way. <laughs> that's, that's Jesus' message. Hey, you want to know what the way is? I am the way. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the gospel message, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, next point. Oh, I didn't even give you the first point. That was it, the job description. Last point, <laughs> the giver of the job, the giver of the job. Um, see uh, in uh, chapter five, verse one, it says, every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to do this duty, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Um, that's a very important point, appointed to act. And in fact, it's repeated again in verse six. Um, as he says in, uh, well, where is it? Oh, seven. Um, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers. And, oh, where is that word? Oh, there it is, five, five, five. So uh, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him uh, who said, you are my son. Um, that's a critical point that Jesus was appointed uh, that a high priest was appointed. You, it, it wasn't um, uh, a self-declaration. Um, that, that's, a, that's a very important gospel point. Um, because I ask you this question. What do the religions of the world, um, what, what's, what's their method? What has always been their method? I, you pick any flavor you want. The method is opposite of grace, exclusively given uh, by God. Um, God appoints a savior. God makes the way unto himself. It's put in such a way, it's put in such a voice that we're supposed to take away from here that no one appoints his or her own self. A high priest, a representative, is appointed by God to do the work uh, that can bring a sinner to him. Appointed by God. That's a big thing. It's a, it's a, it's a gospel message. You know, verse uh, four says, um, no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So why is that the opposite of the gospel? What's the opposite of the gospel? The opposite of the gospel is saying, uh, <clears throat> your honor, I'd like to represent myself. Okay, stupid idea in a courtroom. Uh, stupid idea before God. I, I'm gonna represent myself and um, here's my offering. Now imagine the Holy One who knows your thoughts and intentions and has seen everything you've ever done ever in your whole life, knows every thought and intention, 
knows all the secret sins, knows all the gross, disgusting, most horrible things you're most ashamed of. He knows it all. And he knows even more because there's more stuff you don't know about than the stuff you do know about. Uh, you know, you look back at your life, you go, well, I sinned here, I sinned here, I sinned here, I sinned here. Yeah, lots of sins. Oh, you can't even discern your own spinning of your hard drive, but God can. Well, that's a big problem. That's a cosmic problem. Now, the default mode, apart from Jesus Christ, if you believe that this God is like this, if you believe that he is holy, if you believe that um, he's unchanging in that, if you believe that, well, that's like I say, it's a big cosmic problem because can you imagine going, hey, God, I got this and uh, this should be good enough for you. What do you think? Um, I do. I still do elementary school chapels from time to time, and uh, I actually like doing them, uh, and I take them real seriously too. I write a I write a new message for them, and I got you know media for them and stuff like that. And it's it's short. You got to really hold their attention and all that stuff. And my wife is a school teacher, so she's helped me. I've learned not to go. Hey, who knows? Blah 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 blah. You know the room goes crazy. <laughs> Raise your hand if you can answer. Blah blah blah. Put your hands down. Put your hands down. You know I know how to boss the little kids around, and I, I got I can control the room. I don't need to, teachers shushing them. I like doing it. All right. But one of the sweetest things is when it's over. One of the third grade classes will write me a card. And it's just cute as all get out. It's full of misspelled words. And they, but it, it's, it's cool because they remember things you say. And uh, sometimes it's incorrect, but at least they're sort of tracking. Oh, the, another interesting thing, completely uh, off the notes. Um, I'd say about one third of those kids that draw a picture of me with hair. <laughs> it's, it's quite flattering. Uh, and I'm thinner too, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's sweet. Uh, but, um, but I get those cards and I mean, don't we just, we sit next to each other and, um, I look at them and I read them and I, I we just kind of, I just kind of enjoy them. And, uh, and I, t- I'll say, who's that? Oh, Latavius. Oh, ha ha. Yes, I know him. And, you know, Tammy knows all these little kids and stuff like that. It's just so sweet. Uh, their little artwork that they've made for me. It's sweet as all get up, but you know what? I treasure it, treasure it. But about four days later, those things disappear. I don't know where they go. We, we, we put them in a, on a stack of old mail and uh, they, they go away and we, we throw them out. I mean, it's, you know, it's some other kid's art, you know? I mean, your kid's art. Oh, what a genius. Oh, my child, is this is so precious to me. They're just, oh. But, you know, if it's another kid, it's like, eh. You know, you're a dumb kid, not like, not like mine, you know. It's some other kid's heart. Well, imagine going to the Holy One of Israel going, hey, God, look at this. Oh, whoop-de-woe, sinner. Do you really think, you, wait, you set the criteria for what I want? You get to tell me what is acceptable and we'll, what, will, what will take care of the sin problem? That's ludicrous. Well, application for your life. Um, I want to kind of make it a little bit personal. Um, I've been doing this long enough to have fielded this same question over and over and over. And the question has come from the laity, that's you guys. The question has come from friends in the ministry. The question has come from fellow servants, uh, musicians, uh, word handlers. Same question. And the question is, oh, Lord, How can I get up 
and perform such and such a function, leading God's people, serving the kids, playing an instrument, being up here talking to you, being on a platform, uh, leading others. How can I do that when I look back on my life and the last week I examine it and I just see my failings? I mean, how do I do that? I mean, um, I, I, there's, there's deceit in my heart last week and there's failings in my, uh, my obedience in life all the time. And yet, I got to get up here and go, oh, here's how you should live, everybody. Now, how, do, how does somebody in this position or any position of service, elder, any, any position of service, how does somebody do that? A parent, how do you do that? Well, the, the answer is this. Um, it, it's the same answer to the question, how do I stand before a God who's holy, holy, holy? It's the same answer. You know what the answer is? Perfect, priestly intercession that's permanent. That's the answer. How can I get up there knowing that perfect, permanent, priestly intercession, ladies and gentlemen, made right before this God who is holy, holy, holy. The high priestly work of Jesus just doesn't um, impact you once at the moment of regeneration when you come to the cross. It's a now reality, ladies and gentlemen. It will, it will relieve your conscience now. It, it, God will forgive you now. God will let you stand before his people and say, you know what, guys? I'm a sinner too. Um, if, 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 if I'm your spiritual leader for, the, for 30 minutes, um, I'm a sinner too, and uh, the blood of Jesus will come, uh, cover it. It's, it's the same reality to which we return again and again and again, not, not only for hope, but for sustenance of soul. Last thing, and we'll, we'll, we'll quit. Um, you know, we've sung this song uh, at Grace of Anne for years and years and years. It was really the first RUF song that was ever introduced to me. Brent Harriman showed it to me, and uh, it's Jesus Saves. Um, you know, we have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, oh, Jesus saves. And by the way, that's the rewritten one. The old one sounds like the Mighty Mouse uh, theme. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. You know, it's, uh, we don't do that one here. We do the kind of the hip, hipped out one, and, which I think supports the content even better, the version we do. But there's a line in there, and every time we get to it, I just... It just reverberates in my spirit every time we get to it. And it's this line. Sing it softly through the gloom when the heart for mercy craves. And what are we singing? The hook. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. It's not just that you've been rescued, now go try to work it out. It is that even in the gloom, when the heart craves for mercy, you know what the answer is? Same as the beginning. Jesus saves. He's the way. And in him is God's rest. Righteous Father, we're humbled before you. I sure am because I, I am just like everybody else. 
I need the Lord Jesus. And I, I needed him at the cross. I need him this moment. I need him this afternoon. I need him tomorrow. I need him forever. And uh, the same great reality rings in our hearts, Lord, that Jesus saves. He is the way provided by you. And I pray that um, uh, we would embrace that, grip it in our spirits um, for salvation and for hope and forever. We pray it in his name and for your glory. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Thank mm-hmm. you.